chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 this morning. I was going to try to do 1 through 12, but decided to stop at 6. We'll break it up into parts. Uh, But before you do that, I still have this book. I have two guys that want this book, but I... David? Yes. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Chuck and Ricardo fighting it out. You probably have three of those or versions of those. No, come on now, Ricardo. I'll get you one, Ricardo. And you, Chuck, okay? Love you guys. Um, okay, so anyways, back to Galatians. Galatians 5, 1 through 6. Uh, let me read these verses for us, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll jump in. The Apostle Paul writes the following. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to be together in this context, to be able to freely worship you, to be able to freely gather together in your name, to be able to freely encourage one another and build one another up in the faith. Lord, we never want to take moments like this for granted. And Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would soften our hearts, that we might receive this word. Lord, we need to hear words like this every single day, to be reminded that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, that for those who trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, we are free free from all the law's demands, free from the power of sin, free to glorify you. Lord, we're so grateful for this freedom. And so, Lord, take this word, apply it to our lives this morning, that we might honor and glorify you in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Was a British historian named Paul Johnson, and he was writing about Winston Churchill. And one of the things he said is that he did more for humanity than any other figure of the 20th century. So, Winston Churchill obviously played a big part in defeating Adolf Hitler and his Nazi regime. But this is what Johnson went on to say that was key of Winston Churchill. So one of the things that mattered most was this. He said, Churchill had an uncanny gift 
for getting priorities right. Churchill had an uncanny gift for getting priorities right. By that he meant he knew what to do, when to do it, and how much time, effort, and resources to put towards doing that thing. And so he was a man who was able to take his to-do list and look out at a World War II and just say, we need to give ourselves to this. And apparently he was really disciplined in his leadership and he was able to motivate, obviously, people and nation to go after these things and these priorities and it had a major effect. Now, anyone who has ever led anything, and that would be all of us, because really at the most basic responsibilities we have is, is we all have to lead ourselves. And so anybody who's ever had to lead anything knows how important and I would say how difficult it can be at times to focus on the right things at the right time and then to put the right amount of effort and resources towards those things. And so a lot of times it's easier said than done, isn't it? Especially when life gets more full. Especially as we get older and you take on more responsibilities, identifying those priorities, those main things in our lives can be difficult And even when we do identify those main things, those really important things that we're just going to run hard after for this season, one of the issues that makes it difficult is because there's other things that want to come in and take that main spot. That want to occupy our time and attention. And then when, when we give into running after things that aren't really a priority, lots of chaos, confusion, and clutter can sort of break out. If you're a husband seeking to faithfully love your wife, what do you think a priority in your life should be? Your wife. If you're a student seeking to get good grades, then what should be a priority for you? Probably studying. If you're trying to be a faithful steward of all that God has given to you, all of the money that you have in your bank account, that money that comes with the check that you receive for working and all of the resources and the stuff you have. If you're trying to be a good steward with those things, what then what should be a priority? Probably praying and asking the Lord what he wants you to do with all of this stuff because you can do all sorts of things with all the money that you have. But sometimes, and I would say all the time, God has a purpose and a plan for the way in which we use the stuff that he's given to us. And so we need to have priorities and we need to learn to sort of make those priorities, especially the main things, the important things. See, if a husband or a wife doesn't make the other spouse a priority, then guess what happens? Probably not going to have a fruitful and happy marriage. If a student neglects to study, what do you think will happen to his grades? Probably not going to be very good. If we neglect to save money and we just end up spending it foolishly on whatever we want, what typically ends up happening is we don't have what we need when we need it the most. And I share all of this with you because the same thing in some ways, in many ways, can be said about our faith as well. If we neglect the gospel as being the highest priority in our life, 
and we turn to something else, and this something else doesn't even have to be evil or sinful in itself, just turning away from trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation and our standing before God, and we begin to look at something else. We drift away from Christ and we make something else a priority. And again, it could be something really, really good. But when we do this, and we move Christ from the main thing or the top priority in our lives, we begin to lose passion to follow Christ. And worst of all, we might even fall away from completely trusting in Him or Should I say, it would be revealed that we never really trusted in him in the first place. See, Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians because they were neglecting the gospel. They didn't start out this way. They started out trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, but they began to move away from Christ. They began to move away from him being the main thing or the top priority in their life, and they started to sort of trust in something else. They started to trust in the law. They've started to add to what Christ had done for them. As they were buying into the lies of the Judaizers who were teaching them that they needed to trust in Christ, but that they also needed to be circumcised. And they also needed to obey the law if they were to be fully accepted by God. And so you see what they did is they started out with Christ being the priority and they just shifted them. They shifted it from being not so much the main thing to kind of being a subset to the main thing. As the Judaizers were saying, okay, that's okay, but you also need this and this to be fully accepted by God. And that's just wrong. And so Paul, in many ways, he's written this letter to help the Galatians. And I would say to help us as a church just to really understand That our salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And we're going to learn from this section of scripture this morning is that since we've been set free by Jesus Christ alone, we must stand firm in Christ alone. Let me say that again. Since we've been set free by Jesus Christ alone, we must stand firm in Christ alone. I don't know that like, I know I made that sort of my prop, that's the main point of this message and the reason for that and the reason we kind of put a prop out there is I, I think this just emerges from the text. And I'd say in many ways, this text that we're going to read today sort of summarizes all of Galatians. And what the Galatians were struggling with was not just unique to the Galatians. It's something we wrestle with as well. It's something we need to be reminded of and encouraged in that, that we've been set free by Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about this freedom, but we've been set free by Christ. And as a result of that, we need to enjoy this freedom. We need to enjoy it. We need to live in the good of it. As Paul would say, you've got to stand firm in it. Stand firm in this freedom. And we're going to jump in and sort of explore that point by looking at three sub-points this morning. So in our first point, we just learned this truth. Jesus has set us free for freedom. Jesus has set us free for freedom. Look at me again at verse 1. He writes the following. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke 
of slavery. Again, this, this verse probably, it just summarizes the entire letter that Paul had written to the Galatians. You're free. For freedom you've been set free, therefore stand firm in this freedom. And he's encouraging them this way because they're not standing firm in it. Many of them were falling away from this freedom. Many of them were saying, thanks for the freedom, but instead of enjoying this freedom, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this sort of yoke or this burden of slavery back on us. It was good while it lasted, but I've been convinced that Christ is just not enough. Therefore, I need circumcision and I need the law. Therefore, I'm going to do these things so that God really, really fully accepts me. Now, that's kind of what's been taking place. And Paul's just saying, no. For freedom, you've been set free. You've been set free from the law. The law imprisoned you. The law held you captive. The law was like a harsh tutor that just sort of held up a mirror. And it just says, you're not good enough. You might be able to be good enough for just certain parts of the law, but not the entire thing. And the way it works is if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking it all. And so the law was never meant to save us. But there's just this temptation that the Galatians were experiencing just to kind of go back there. Or to put themselves under this burden of the law. And Paul's just saying, no, you've been set free. For freedom, you've been set free by Christ. You're free from this. You're free from the power of sin. You're free from trying to find your worth and your value in yourself. You're free to accept who you are in Christ and to understand that who you are in Christ is what makes you perfectly acceptable before God. Not just today, but every day of your life since you trusted in Him alone for your salvation. This is what that freedom does. They were set free from the law by Christ. They were living in the good of it until they weren't. By that I mean until they looked away from Christ to something less than Christ. They stopped believing in Jesus Christ alone for their righteousness before God and they started trying to earn it. That's really what was going on there. They they were trying to earn it. Instead of just accepting that it had been earned for them through Christ's perfect life and his perfect death on the cross for all of their sins. Can't earn that. You just receive it. But they started to move away from it. And so we all enjoy this freedom that we have in Christ the moment that we're justified by Christ. We're just free. But freedom has an enemy. This freedom that we have in Christ, it has an enemy and it's called legalism. It's called legalism. Now there's a a definition Todd Wilson in his commentary had. I'm going to read it to you because I really like this definition. It's helpful for kind of where we're at living our lives today as well. And so he just writes the following. He says, legalism is treating that which is good... As though it were essential. Whenever Christians turn something valuable into something ultimate, legalism is at work and freedom is forfeited. On the other hand, we 
preserve our freedom in Christ when what is essential to God is essential to us and everything else is kept in its place. Legalism is treating that which is good as though it were essential. And so everything's got to find its place. And what is ultimate and what is essential, Paul is saying, is the gospel. Is Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves us. Alone. It's just him. It's not him plus circumcision. It's not him plus these works of the law. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. He's always supposed to be the top priority. He's always meant to be the main thing. We don't ever move on to something more ultimate and something more essential or something more valuable than Jesus Christ. The problem is we can tend to be legalistic. We can tend to sort of grow tired of just looking to Christ, trusting in Christ alone for our standing before God, and we begin, begin to kind of put our hope in, in other things. We begin to put our hope in, in many things that we think make us more valuable to God than just trusting in Christ alone. And it's not that these things are bad. We all have the temptation to take something good and valuable like personal Bible study. It's very important to read our Bibles. Very important. But it's not the ultimate thing. It's very important to faithfully gather together as a church. Scripture is really clear. Do not neglect to meet with one another. And so we're called to meet with one another. So it's important that we, we, we meet with one another. We gather together. We encourage one another. We love one another. We have fellowship with one another. But it's not the ultimate thing. It can be good to homeschool our kids. It's good to kiss dating goodbye. These are references to a little Sovereign Grace stuff in the past. Or if you're a little bit older, but... These are all things I would say that are part of our culture that are good things that have helped many, many people that at some point in time, they've also kind of taken the place of the main thing at times where we can begin to judge one another and even ourselves on how we do in these areas regarding where we stand before God. And so they're not necessarily bad things, they're good things, but they become sort of bad things when we move them to the place where they're most valuable, meaning more valuable than us trusting in Jesus Christ. It's a good thing at times to be abstaining from alcohol. It's a good thing to read the ESV. And if you're new here, you're probably wondering what version of the Bible do they read? We made the switch years ago to the ESV. But again, that's not the most ultimate thing. These are silly little things. But, but the list could just go on and on of just these good things that God has given to us that we can begin to love too much. And we can begin to think that the way in which we relate to these things make us better in the sight of God. And not just us. See, anytime we gather together as people, we begin to create these cultures. And we can end up creating a legalistic culture where you have to read the ESV if you're a Christian. You have to kiss dating goodbye. 
if you're going to be a believer. You have to gather with your local church every Sunday to be accepted by God. I know it seems silly saying it like that, but the reality is sometimes we can just sort of live that out. It doesn't come out as, as I guess it does come out sometimes. There are leaders who do say it like that, and it begins to create a crazy culture. But what eventually is created is a legalistic culture, not a free culture. And again, don't hear me say that these things are wrong. Lots of good things that God has given to us, but they're not the most valuable thing. And so they have to find their right place in our lives. When we're being legalistic, when we're submitting ourselves and those around us again to a yoke of slavery that Jesus has died to set us free from. That's what Paul's getting at after here. There's a lot of good things here, but when we submit to these things, we remove ourselves from this place of freedom into a place where we're burdened from things we shouldn't be burdened from. Now, just so there's no confusion here on what I'm saying and not saying, you have to understand that the only thing that ultimately makes us or anyone right and acceptable with God is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So Phil was talking about this in our communion that we took together. It's Christ that justifies us. It's Christ who saves us. Our hope is in Christ alone. Salvation, you see, it's a gift from God that he gives to people through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Todd Wilson again writes the following. He said, many Christians come from legalistic backgrounds. They grew up in churches where it seemed like almost everything was ultimately important except that which in fact was. And so I I like this quote only because in some ways I, I just think it's true. I've been wrestling with this as a parent, having kids grow up in my home. And I think about this as I talk to many of you in this church, especially those who grew up believers. I did not grow up a Christian. I didn't get saved until I was 19 I moved away when I was 20, and so I wasn't really influenced by a Christian culture growing up. But one of the things that I've thought about a lot since I've gotten saved, I've been a pastor since I was, why do I always forget this, 24, 25, uh, pastored singles, youth, people in this church. I've, I've been curious a lot just to think about people who've grown up in a Christian home, why they think what they think. Also curious at times why so many Christians who grow up in Christian homes don't like the church. I just saw a stat, I can't remember the statistics, I think it was like 70% or something like that. By the time they're 20-something, end up leaving the church. And it just, it just makes me think, why? Now, I know the ultimate reason why. God's the one who saves people. God's the one who gives people faith. But, but I think in part, what Todd is getting at, Mr. Wilson here, when he says many Christians come from a legalistic background, they kind of grew up in churches where it seemed like almost everything was ultimately important except that which was. I think he's after something. And it's kind of been something I feel like God's been after in our hearts as we've been going through Galatians. And I think that a lot of times we as parents... And I would say leaders at times in the church, we can just, we tend to be legalistic. So for a while I was thinking we're just self-righteous. We like to major on things that are minor and we really minor on what's really most important. 
And by that I mean like we, we allow for our kids to kind of grow up in our home and we make a big deal, huge deal at times, about their behavior. And so we place a bunch of rules on them. You can do this, you can do that, you can't do this, you can only do this for a little bit, and then you got to do here. And if you screw up, you're going to be in the doghouse for a really long time. And we all know what that tends to produce. It tends to produce kids who like to hide things from their parents. Now, this is just me sort of speculating and thinking about all this stuff. But the point is this. Legalistic homes major on things they shouldn't be majoring on. They make behavior and they parent behavior without ever or rarely bringing out what is really most important. And that's the gospel. Majoring on who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for them. And it's, again, it's not to say we don't have rules in our home. The law serves and it has a purpose. It leads us to Christ. But if all we ever do is throw the law out and rarely, if ever, highlight the good news of Jesus Christ, we probably are creating a legalistic home and a legalistic church. And we're putting a burden, and I think about this as well, I think about kids, my kids especially, because they're growing up in Christian homes, and I just think, how difficult that would be. I mean, it's, in many ways, there's just God's grace all over it, because he got godly parents praying for them, and your godly parents praying for your kids, and you're doing your best with the grace of God that you have to raise your kids. But I just think when you, you, you put them in a culture like this, and they're not actually saved meaning at early ages, it just sort of creates this, this frustration. And it's kind of like, Mom and Dad, would you just get off my back? Would you just leave me alone? Would you just kind of let me figure it out? And sometimes as parents, okay, we can't helicopter and we got to let them figure out. But I think in some ways, what they're really saying is, where's the gospel encouragement? Where's my hope? Is my hope really just to be a better kid? If I just do these things, then life will go well for me? And it's true, there's blessings and curses and all that kind of stuff. But, but the point Paul's getting at here is we've been set free. And that freedom doesn't come by doing certain things. That freedom comes by faith in Christ alone. And as parents, we have to. We have to do a good job at teaching our kids who Jesus Christ is. And not just teaching it, but modeling it for them. And, and what I mean by that, are, I think it's when they do blow it, when they do fail, we're not shocked by it. I mean, just think about it. You, you sin all the time as, as parents. You're not perfect. But when your kid sins, how do you respond? Are you shocked? Do you eagerly and quickly forgive them? Doesn't mean there's not consequences for this stuff. I know it's a, it's a little tricky in some ways. Point I'm getting at here is as parents, and I would say as leaders and just as followers of Christ, the main thing is Jesus Christ. Trusting in him. Encouraging those around us. See, when we lose Christ, we end up creating legalistic cultures. And legalism creates chaos, confusion, and conflict. 
it also creates a lot of anxiety because it ends up teaching us that God only accepts us if we're good enough. But what the gospel teaches us is we're not good enough, but Christ is. That's why John 3.16 is such a great verse. God so loved the world, he gave his son. That whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but instead received eternal life. Why would God save us? Because he loves us. Not because you did anything to deserve that, but because God loves us. Parents, your kids are, are kids who need a savior. Give them the savior. Be reminded, you can't save them, but by the grace of God, we can teach them about Christ and we can pray for their souls. That God would be merciful and gracious and he would save them. Legalism is slavery, and this is why Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. To keep this freedom that we have in Christ, Paul says, you've got to stand firm in it. got to stand firm in it. You can't, you can't give up just even a little bit of your freedom, because if you give up just a little bit of your freedom, you start to lose that freedom. Now, standing firm is a military word, mixing together the ideas of of keeping alert, being strong, resisting attack, and sticking together. What this means for us in, in application is that we must fight, fight to keep the gospel at the center of our lives. That's what Paul's getting at. For freedom, you've been set free. Therefore, stand firm in it. We don't drift into keeping the gospel at the center of our lives. It was one of the thoughts I had on the way over here. I was just thinking about this message, and I was thinking, it it would do us well, probably. I don't know if anybody would ever do this. I'm sure there's some people in here who would do this. But but it it would do us well just to turn the TV off. It would do us well to just get rid of social media. It would do us well to put the phone away and not look at it. And just, and just test it out. See, see what happens. And the reason for that and why I was thinking about this is because for the most part, what's being communicated to us is really not helping us stand firm in the gospel. It's helping us to stand firm in our political ideas and thoughts. It's helping us to stand firm in in what Johnny Depp is doing. Honestly, I mean, everybody just kind of got caught up in all that stuff. But when you get caught up in all that stuff, you get caught up in a whole bunch of stuff. And you begin to shift your focus from really what's most important. And it's a fight. And a lot of times I'd say we make that fight so much harder on ourselves because we invite things into our lives that really just aren't helpful. It make it really hard to stand firm at times. And so I'm not saying turn it off or do that. I'm just saying evaluate your life. Ask yourself the question, are you standing firm in Christ? Are you secure that you are fully loved by God because of what Christ has done for you? Or, Or do you find yourself being anxious at times, really wrestling with, I just don't know what's going on. Stand firm in the gospel, Paul says. See, our right standing with God, it's 100% totally free from our efforts. It's a gift. David Platt, in his book, he writes the following. He says, we are free from the penalty of sin, justification. We do not have to live with a sense of being unacceptable to God. 
Some of us need to hear that every single day. If you are free in Christ, fully accepted by God, 100% forgiven by God, declared righteous so you are acceptable before God, you do not have to live with a sense of being unacceptable to God. Christ has made us acceptable. Christ alone is perfect. And we must rest in his perfect work performed on our behalf. We must never revert to works-based righteousness. Are you standing firm? Let's stand firm in the gospel. Point number two, when Jesus is not our priority, we lose our freedom. Paul gets real specific here. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You, I'm sorry, I would be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So he says it very clearly here that if anyone turns away from trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, they end up losing Christ. They end up losing this grace of God who saves us through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone because we turn away from it. And that's what the Galatians were in danger of doing. Again, saying, Christ, not enough. Like what you did for me, but, but it, it, it doesn't really finish the job. And Paul's saying, no, it more than finished the job. You've just sort of left it, and when you leave it, you are in danger of being severed from God's grace, forfeiting the freedom that Christ has earned for us. And in their case, by accepting circumcision. You see, grace is a gift. It's a gift. It cannot be earned. If it could be earned, it would cease to be grace. If we try to save ourselves, then we're left without Christ. And what he's saying is you've got to fend for yourself. If you want to accept this part of the law, you're accepting the whole law. And guess what? You can't do it. You're going to pretend like you can, but in reality, you can't be perfect. You've already failed in that. Therefore, when you stand before Christ on that final day and you're trusting in your ability to be perfect, what he's saying is you're not going to like that day. That day's not going to go well for you because you're not going to be able to lift up a list of all the things you've ever done so that Jesus is going to say, wow, you're amazing. I can't believe you were able to do all of that. Come on in. It's silly, I know, but, but sometimes we think like that. What Paul says is when you think like that, you actually lose your freedom. You don't get freedom for thinking like that. You actually put yourself under this yoke of slavery again. Todd Wilson wrote the following. He says, all we'll have, he's kind of talking about, when we give up grace and we run after things, he says, all we'll have is our sinful, silly, little, dissatisfied self, which isn't all that much comfort. This says it so well. I like Todd Wilson. I like his commentary. He just kind of speaks and he just says it the way it, is, it needs to be said. When we turn away from Christ, all we're going to have is our sinful, silly, little, dissatisfied self, which isn't really all that comforting. 
we're left without the assurance of salvation. We'll be left without the joy of knowing that all of our sins are forever forgiven. See, we take communion together and, and we hold up the, the piece of bread and the, the little cup of juice and, and they're reminders for us. Body broken, blood poured out so that all of our sins would be forever forgiven. We hold them up and you're reminded it's not about you. It's about Christ and what he's done for you that makes you acceptable before God. But when you turn away from that, you put yourself back under this yoke of slavery. And it's easy to do that. So how do we know when we start to drift away from trusting in Jesus Christ alone? I think there's a, a lot of things, but one of the things that I was thinking about is, is this. I think we need to pay attention to our joy. So there's meant to be joy in this freedom. It's just, it's just freeing from having to run this race thinking it's all about us. There should be joy present when we're trusting in Christ alone. And so we want to pay attention to our joy in the Lord as we live out our Christian life. And so I'd say, if you lack joy in Christ and following him feels more like a burden, then the chances are high that you're beginning to move away from Christ to something else. It doesn't mean we walk around smiling all the time. Life is hard. It hurts sometimes. But if we keep what is most important at the center of our lives, there, there should be a joy present just knowing Christ has forgiven us. We're free in Christ. That whatever this world throws at us, we have something better because Christ has earned that for us. And so it brings us this joy and it brings us some rest. Jesus himself said the following. He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This doesn't mean living the Christian life's easy, but it does mean that following Jesus should be restful and joyful. It's supposed to be freeing. And so I just say, I would evaluate, is there great joy in picking up a cross and following Christ today? And I'd say, if there's not, then just start asking questions. Start evaluating, who, who are you really hoping in? Are you really trusting in Jesus to be your Savior? Or are you putting your hope in maybe something you could do? Are you putting your hope in the value that you bring to your home or to your work? Putting your hope in reading the Bible or showing up to church or serving in some way, whatever it is. We have a, just a thousand or a million different things that we could ultimately put our hope in. But what Paul is trying to say is put your hope in Christ. Keep him at the center of your life. Keep him the main thing. Walk in this freedom. This leads us to our third and final point. In our freedom, we wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul writes the followings. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so he, he calls for us to stand firm in this freedom. And we're going to get into kind of doing things in the sense of walking out our faith in the next several messages. But I love, I love this section right here, this verse 5, where, where this call to stand firm, what it, what it looks like is waiting. It looks like waiting. 
Rooted and grounded in Christ, knowing his life, his death is what ultimately matters. And us trusting in that as we just, we wait. We wait for the hope of righteousness. We wait for that time when we get to be with him forever in heaven. And so standing firm in the gospel, it, it looks like us waiting at times. Looking beyond this life, trusting that in the life to come, we will realize in full what we only sort of feel and see in part today. We know we've been declared righteous. We've been made righteous in the sight of God. But on that final day, we get to see it. And so what do we do as we're sort of living out our lives here? We wait. We wait for this day. And we wait for it eagerly. So I want to encourage us as a church, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Look to Him. And if you're parents, I'd say this. Lead your kids to Christ. Don't just get rid of the rules and sort of let them do whatever it is they want to do. Rules have have a purpose. But make sure they know Christ. Again, you can't save them. But teach them about Jesus. Teach them to trust in Christ. Show them what it looks like to walk in that freedom. And sometimes what that looks like is when we sin, we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness. And we just forgive one another and then we move on. We don't hold our sins against one another, but we walk in the goodness of this gospel, enjoying this freedom that Christ has given to us. Remember, freedom has an enemy and it's legalism. Let us not walk in legalism. And the way in which we don't walk in legalism is we stand firm in the good news of Jesus Christ. We enjoy this freedom that we have in Christ. So let us wait. Let us be eager to wait for the hope of this righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time that we've been able to spend in Galatians. And ask that you would continue to speak to us and show us, Lord, just who Jesus is and what it means to trust in Christ. And Lord, I ask that you would protect us from legalism, from creating legalistic culture, from placing a burden on those around us, Lord, that you don't do. But instead, Lord, may you pour out your spirit and help us to honor and glorify you in all that we say, in all that we do. Would you increase our faith? Would you increase our faith in you, our love for you? And Lord, would you help us to encourage one another with this good news, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.